As um, JT said, we're going to be talking about baptism today. We're going to have a baptism, or maybe that was Michael, I can't remember who, who said it. But one of them, anyway, talked about us having a baptism today. And I love baptisms. I get so excited every time there's a baptism. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about what baptism, oops, about what baptism is. And don't tune me out if you have been baptized for a long time, maybe you were baptized years ago, and you think, oh, I know all about that. Stay with me, because I think this is something for all of us. We realized last night God had things for all of us here. But um, public baptism, and that's what we do. We do public baptisms. Public baptism is really important because there's a couple, there's actually all kinds of things that go on with public baptism, but there's two things that are very important. And the first thing is that it speaks to us, the ones of us that are followers of Jesus, and we've made that decision in our heart to follow him, and maybe we've been baptized, but it reminds us of our baptism. And it takes us back, and oftentimes we realize when um, we see a baptized that we've kind of wandered away, and that our commitment level is not what it was years ago. And it will call us back, call us back to the commitment we made uh, at our baptism. The other thing that happens, there's always people in a crowd this size that have never made a decision to follow Jesus. And the convicting power of the Holy Spirit comes upon all of us, calling us to give our lives, surrender our lives to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when I say convict, that's an old churchy word that is often not used very much. But basically, the word convict, it means to make aware. When we see a baptism, it makes us aware of what we need to deal with in our own heart, in our own lives. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, it makes us aware of our brokenness and our need for a Savior. You know, even thinking about this this week, I went all the way back to my baptism. I was just a little girl. I was six years old when I was baptized. And the way it happened was I, was, I grew up in a Christian um, home. My parents had very dramatic conversion experiences before I even was a thought. And um, so Jesus was talked about very openly in our home. Our parents were very, very involved in church. I was very comfortable going to church. But this one particular day, my older sister and I were in the backyard. And something came up about heaven and hell. So we're, you know, having this big discussion about heaven and hell and who gets to go to heaven. And then we started talking about if our family died, what would happen? And I said, well, you know, if our family died, it's great because we'll all go to heaven together. And she kind of looked at me and she said, well, I'm not so sure you will. And I said, what? You know, why would you say that? And so she said, well, you have never invited Jesus into your life personally to be your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to wash your sins away, so you wouldn't go with us. And so we got in this big argument about whether I would go to heaven or not. And I remember running in the house and calling my mom, and my mother came in, and I said, Candy, she's telling me that I won't go to heaven if we all died. 
And she just stood there and looked at me, and she said, well, honey, come here, let's sit down and talk. And at that moment, I went, oh, my gosh, my mom is siding with my sister. She's siding with her. And so she went, she said, let's just look at some scripture together. My mom reached for her Bible. I have vivid memories of my mom just pouring over the word. And, and her Bible was worn, all underlined and everything. Wonderful memories for me that I got to see that with my mom. But she opened up the Bible to Romans 3, 23. And she says, look at this verse. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And she said, did you know that? We all, every one of us, are in need of a Savior because we've all sinned. And you know that convicting power of the Holy Spirit fell upon me at that moment. I remember just all these things I had done wrong at six years old flashing right before me. You know, the times I'd been mean to my brother and sister, the times I'd told lies. It was just flashing before me. And then she said, look at Romans 6, 23. And look what it says. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And she said, you know, when we sin, there has to be a payment made. And the Bible says there needs to be a death. And she said, you know who, who paid that price for us? Jesus. He took all of our sins upon himself. He went to the cross, and he died for each and every one of us. Everyone. He died for every single one of us, no matter who you are. He died for you. And I'm, boy, I'm hanging on every word she's saying. And she says, but here's how it works. Look at Revelation 3.20. And she says, this is Jesus himself speaking. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. And she said, here's the deal. You have to open your heart's door. He's knocking at your door right now, I can tell. And she said, don't you think he is? And I went, yeah, he is. I felt something. I, I remember feeling that conviction of the Lord that I knew I needed to be forgiven. And she says, but you're the only one that can open up that door. And so she said, would you like to pray and invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and forgive you of all of your sins. And I said, yes, yes, you know, we'll do it right now. And so I prayed with my mom. I remember when I prayed with her, she said she'll never forget. I was looking so distressed when we started talking. And she said, after we prayed, I looked up and I had the biggest smile on my face. But I remember telling her, I said, Mom, it feels like warm butter is being poured in my heart right now. It was the best feeling ever, and that was the Holy Spirit touching me right at that moment. And she said, now that you've prayed, you know, you've given your life to Jesus. You, he promises eternal life forever. And she says, but the Bible, Jesus commands us to be baptized so we can publicly show the people what we have chosen to do, that we've chosen to follow Jesus. And so she said, so you need to go forward at church and tell the pastor that you have accepted Christ as your Savior and that you would like to be baptized. Well, I did that the next Sunday, and a couple of weeks later, I was baptized publicly as a profession of my faith. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see people publicly 
professing their faith through baptism. Now, the word baptism is throughout the entire Bible. Uh, the, the actual word is not throughout the Bible. The practice of baptism is throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in the New Testament, the Greek word for baptism is baptismo. That means the act of dipping or washing. Okay, now in the Old Testament, they practiced baptism. They didn't call it that, but several, I mean, all over the Old Testament, they would uh, practice baptism. When a Gentile wanted to follow the God of Israel and join up with the Israelite community, they would have a baptism and they would dip them in water to show that uh, they had turned away from their old life of you know, worshiping idols, and now they were worshiping the true God of Israel. When um, a person had sinned in the Old Testament, uh, uh, you know, they had sinned against the Mosaic law, many times they would pour water over them. Or when um, someone was going to become a priest, when a man was going to become a priest at 30 years old, they had a ceremony where they would pour water as an act of consecration to show that they were setting apart their life to follow God and to be a priest before the people. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. Then you move into the intertestamental period. That's the period between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There were 400 years of pretty much silence during that time. And then all of a sudden, we have this wild and crazy guy called John the Baptist that comes on the scene. He'd been living out in the desert. He ate locust and wild honey. Oh, yeah, and wild locust and honey, yeah. And he wore wild uh, animal skins. And he comes in to the Jordan River. And, you know, it was interesting. When you read history, church history, I love church history, but they said at this time in history that all of Israel was just kind of a buzz with this feeling that the Messiah was coming any moment. The Messiah is the promised one that was Jesus. But there was just a buzz in the air that, that something was about to happen. And many people believed that the Messiah was coming. Well, John was one of those. And so John the Baptist began to call the people of Israel to come to the Jordan River and be baptized. And he would say, repent, prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he's calling people to prepare their hearts and to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. So he's just, you know, out there yelling and screaming at the people, come. And droves of people are coming out to the Jordan River daily. He is baptizing probably hundreds during this time. Well, this one particular day, and I, for some reason I love this, but this one particular day, he's baptizing away all these people, and they're all, you know, saying, yes, I want to prepare my heart. He looks up, and he sees Jesus coming with the people to him to be baptized, and he just stops, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I just love that. He just spotted him as he was coming in. And, and so he, he looks at Jesus. He knows he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And listen to what happens here in Matthew 3, 13. It says, Then Jesus came 
from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to detour him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and seen heaven opened? But he said heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So God the Father in heaven was giving his stamp of approval on Jesus. Jesus being baptized and Jesus as the Messiah. And he's basically saying, listen to him. He was pleased at what Jesus was doing. And John made it perfectly clear that when the Messiah came, he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Water and the Holy Spirit. John's just baptizing with water at that moment. Okay, now we move into the New Testament, into the New Covenant. The New Covenant is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, before the death and resurrection, we're still sort of in that intertestamental time. Okay, after his death and resurrection, at the point when he ascended and was raised to heaven, he begins to give some last commands or instructions to his disciples. And one of the last things he said, which is really important, was from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. He, he told his disciples, he said, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a very strong command in the original language. When he said, you go and you make disciples, but you baptize them, it's extremely important. In other words, everyone that makes a decision to follow Christ, they need to be baptized. So we are commanded throughout the whole New Testament to be um, baptized. Now, let me make one thing very clear. Baptism does not save you. It does not save you. Jesus alone saves us. He, he's the one that washes our sins away and, and brings us to himself. And everything that is true of Jesus, once you become a follower of Jesus, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. Isn't that amazing? Because we have been placed in Christ. We're united to Christ. Listen to what baptism does, though. It signifies and publicly demonstrates our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be his. In other words, we have already made a decision, if you have already made a decision, to follow Christ. He's saying that baptism is a symbol of what you have already done in your soul, 
in your heart. It's very clearly a symbol for, um, you know, salvation. Because everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. Baptism is a ceremony where a person is fully identified with Christ, with his death and his resurrection. Listen to Romans 6, 4. It says, we were therefore buried with him. In other words, when we were baptized, we go into the water. That's symbolic of being buried with Jesus at his burial. So we're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, when the person comes out of the water, it's a picture of the new life that God promises to give us at salvation. It's a symbol. It's a picture of that. So in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There is new life that is released upon us when we give our lives to Jesus. And baptism in the early church, this was extremely important. They were almost always done publicly, like in the Jordan River. Baptism is something that should be very public. And why is that? Why does it need to be public? You read church history, and they always talk about making sure that it's public. There's a very important reason why. We, all of you here today that are watching and observing this baptism, these people that are going to come up and go into the baptismal waters, you are witnesses of their baptism. In other words, if a person that's baptized today, maybe later on down the road, they kind of go off the rails and they walk away from their faith, you can remind them, no, you, you at one time made a decision to follow Christ. And I saw your baptism. And what we, we do that in hopes that the person will return. They'll be, they'll be reminded of their baptism, and they'll come back. They'll come back to Jesus. Okay, now the early church, they practiced, if you read church history again, they practiced full submersion. They practiced partial submersion. They also practiced pouring water on people for baptism. And in some rare cases, they would sprinkle a person with water if, the per if there was some kind of medical reason that they... Uh, needed to do it that way. Well, here at, at VCDC, Vineyard Church of Delaware County, we practice believer baptism. In other words, we wait till a person is old enough to make a decision to follow Christ. We don't, as JT said, we don't practice infant baptism here. We wait till a person is old enough to believe and make their own decision. And we've encouraged people to wait until they're about 10 years old uh, to be baptized. But we do, we, in our baptismal, we do immersion. Sometimes we've done pouring. Sometimes we've done sprinkling for medical reasons. So we do it just like the early church uh, did it. But no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, maybe you're a strong believer, maybe you're not even a believer at all, and you just came today to watch some, someone um, be baptized, 
you know, I would encourage you, wherever you are, to jump in. Jump in and be obedient to Christ, to what he is calling you to do. You know, if you have not been baptized and you say, I'm a follower of Christ, let me encourage you to be obedient. Be obedient to Jesus. You will not regret that. You know, my, I remember um, when I was a little girl, we spent a lot of time going, our family, going to the ocean. We loved water. Anything about water, we loved fishing, boating, swimming, anything to do with water. We were always at the ocean. And I remember this one particular day being out in the surf with my dad. We were swimming, and I was pretty young, and a huge wave came along. And it, I saw it was so big, it scared me, and I started running towards shore. Well, the wave caught me and knocked me down flat on my face on the bottom of the, uh, you know, the ground or the sand, and it hurt. I remember being really upset, and I said, I'm getting out. And my dad said, no, no, let me show you how to do it. He said, if you try to run from the wave, or if you try to stand still, you'll get knocked down. And he said, but turn and face it and dive head first right into it, and you'll be fine. And he said, try it with me. And I did, and I was fine. And so from that day on, I dive into waves. <laughs> but let me encourage you, it's that way with your faith. It's that way with following Jesus. Don't run from his commands. Don't let pride and fear hold you back from being obedient to him. If it's baptism or anything else, you know, I have people tell me, I don't want to get baptized. You know, you get all wet, and you're, you know, and your hair is all wet, and your makeup runs, and ladies, your makeup runs down. And, you know, I just had a lot of people tell me things like that. We're commanded to be baptized, but I've heard a lot of people out of pride and fear hold back from being baptized. Did you know, and we talk to missionaries all the time that tell us this, in other countries, people are being persecuted for public baptism. They don't let pride and fear hold them back. That we know stories where people have actually been executed for public baptism. And so we should never let a little bit of pride or fear hold us back from being obedient to Jesus. 